Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Welcome to the future, Pete. I'm dying to talk about it. I'm dying to talk about it, because today does not happen to people, ever. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 301, That Hope Is You, part one comes to you now via holographic bird alarm clock and news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit pete you know i've been hearing for months how season three of discovery is going to be it for the show uh let's take a listen to this youtube video star trek discovery season four it's official we are back november 2nd production begins Oh my goodness, I am so excited uh, to be back on set. I am looking forward to the one thing I always look most forward to when we get to come back for another season of Star Trek Discovery, and that is to be reunited with my family again, the, the, the Trek family, the Discovery family. It's gonna be great to see everybody, and I think we're gonna really love on each other. To be able to, to at least be in the same room again, uh, even if we can't hug each other right away, I don't know how it's all gonna work, but, but I can't wait. I'm so excited um, to uh, to be to be giving you a season four and watch season three. That's what I would say. That's what I'm really excited about. Oh my goodness, Pete! It looks like those pictures from Toronto saying that uh, pre-production was underway. It looks like uh, Doug Jones and his trainer talking about season four. It looks like Win- uh, Wilson Cruz going to uh, Toronto. Uh, despite the naysayers and the clickbaiters, uh, the show officially, officially getting underway for season four. Like a phoenix from the ashes of a fire that never lit. <laughs> Here we have a, another season of the show. This first episode of season three now available. Everything is fine. Oh, and uh, Picard. Season two will eventually get made. I know there's some hay being made. They're doing Discovery first and not Picard, which means we will get Discovery and not Picard before one another. Because as you put on Twitter, Matt, you know, doing a show in a country like our United States, which uh, leads the world in every category of COVID cases, deaths, uh, hospitalizations, uh, with an 80-year-old lead is a little bit more tenuous than uh, in Toronto, where I'm sure just about everybody wears masks and testing is taken care of and, and all that stuff. It's almost like the Federation exists, but not in our country. <laughs> well, Pete, let's change subjects as we talk about news here. Let's change subjects to uh, a more manageable Tempest in a Teapot. When last we talked episode titles, this episode that we're about to get into uh, had been titled That Hope Is You. However, the official title is That Hope Is You Part 1. There's no Part 2 on the schedule for next week. Uh, Indeed, uh, officially, uh, the the first three titles have been announced. There's this one. Next week is Far From Home. The week after that is People of Earth. So... Uh, what's up with that, that there, that this is part one of an unannounced second part. Yeah. Either that's going to get changed on CBS all access within the next week or so, 
to reflect that there is no part two or next week is not called far from home and will instead be called part two. It's as simple as that. Well, with that, Pete, let's head into our mission briefing. Red Bird, bearing the time, 7.59, sings before an alarm goes off as it turns to 8 o'clock and a man waves his hand, making the holographic clock disappear before getting out of a bed which melts into the floor. He cleans his teeth with the aid of a laser-like hollow mirror before a desk and chair made from the same matter as his bed uh, materialize and he is now dressed for work and brings a box uh, bearing a different yet recognizable Starfleet insignia to it. Another bird alarm, this one blue, then a green one, red again as the routine continues over and over a lever projects from the desk, which the man pushes to activate a swirling map of the stars searching for signals. So in terms of hooks to get the season started here, mysterious place, check. Mysterious time, outside of being a succession of mornings, check. Uh, a mysterious man, check. Uh, the only hint, uh, the, the nanite bed, the nanite desk. Uh, and, uh, of course, that montage of him searching for signals. We then cut to a debris field. Hey, Pete, it's the start of the season, as shown at New York Comic Con. Uh, I, I do rather like that this uh, this prologue with the uh, currently uh, unnamed, later named in the episode, uh, Mystery Man. I like that that was not included. We start run and gun. Um, the unnamed book, but Pete, we've been saying Cleveland Book Booker for, I feel like, close to two years. Um, so I don't mind addressing him as such here though he is uh, unnamed he's on the run with his horizontally aligned ship that's right pete he's on the run and an alone scoundrel sort of solo if you will but no all hair non-english speaking co-pilot this time eh george <laughs> yes uh chased here by a squid like vessel he's contacted by cosmo his pursuer who tells him that Book stole his stolen cargo, uh, but Book maintains that it belongs to itself. Uh, a warning sounds that a space-time anomaly is detected, and it's Burnham in the Red Angel uh, suit that hits Book's ship, damaging both. Um, the impact leaves her unable to reverse thrusters. She's able to initiate her heat shield as she hurdles towards a planet, but a fatal impact is imminent as she reboots the system. Uh, we see, before she does, we see that she's on a planet with life. There's what alien uh, uh, insect eaten by some alien lizard kind of was thinking they might do the opposite like the insect eats the eats the yeah. frog if you will but pete the larger point is that there's life here let's not forget uh all those trips to 930 years in the future uh as somewhat shown uh and certainly uh cataloged last season all showed no life in the universe uh burnham's suit falls uh, into the planet as does book's ship she gets impact shields uh, up just in time 
We cut to black. You know, that's suggesting your slight passage of time. Then we have Burnham clawing out of the debris field. She throws up what I'll say is water, although it looks pretty silver. Uh, she exits the suit in a really just awesome special effects moment. Uh, she, she grabs her Starfleet starter pack out of the backpack area. She hails the discovery to no avail. The suit confirms that she's in 3188, that she's on a planet where there is life. Uh, she has saved the season two day after all. Pete, Sone Sonequa Martin-Green's happiness here is so, um, so realistic and just so palatable that it, it's not that the actress is acting. We have here the character comes alive in that moment of supreme happiness where all life in the universe, it is confirmed, has been saved. The authenticity of her reaction, the catharsis. Uh, the suit soon announces that the wormhole is closing and Burnham quickly reprograms the suit to fly to a location and then self-destruct. That having been done, the realization that that suit, that that storyline is over and she's on her own sets in as she verbally reviews the remains of her pack we don't readily recognize uh, the hydration pack, the emergency rations. She starts to recite her serial number, which will prove to be necessary later on. She affixes her Delta shield to her suit, fights injury to stand and to walk and heads towards the smoke of the other vessel on this strange new world in this far flung time to take us to the title card. Uh, the title card, of course, has some new bits of animation in it. The credits uh, include Kirsten Beyer uh, in the title sequence, as well as Oscar-winning uh, John Ottman in a producer role. Uh, he, of course, won an Oscar for his editing of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, and like all the other uh, Bohemian Rhapsody winners from that night, he did not mention the, uh, the uh, director uh, for whom uh, much trouble had followed. I guess John Ottman discovered that since uh, working with that particular director since the mid-1990s. But I digress, Pete. The episode is written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman, and directed by Olatundi Atsunsami. Some robots in the title sequence now. The old-school phaser morphs into a new model we've not seen yet on screen, and the redesigned Starfleet logos rather eloquently changing in the transporter, really teasing all this new stuff to come before we are back on the planet that will later be name-checked as Hema. Birds squawking on a coastline where books ship sticks out of the sand like a dagger as Burnham approaches. Yes, Pete, I personally am calling his ship the Centennial Bird. Uh, being a horizontally aligned <laughs> ship flown by a rogue fellow in a little bit. We're going to find his hairy non-English speaking friend, but I digress. Uh, the centennial bird cloaks and book attacks Burnham from behind. They fight. She explains she's not here to fight. He's the one fighting her. Shades of stop hitting yourself, but it's a bit more serious than that. Uh, she has an antique phaser, wink, wink, to his head. Finally, they break apart and talk. He mentions that the Gorn have ripped apart two uh, light years of subspace. Uh, so that's our first, uh, I mean, I know we have the time, the century, the, the, the year established, but that's our first moment of a very changed world. Mm -hmm. There's a 
the nearest natural wormhole is 100 light years away. So he knows that she's done something in creating one with tech that uh, later we're told not allowed, outlawed. Okay. Also, her suit registered titanium alloy that hasn't been seen for years. So, you know, there's what the the viewer already knows that she's from the past. There's the realization of other characters of how far back is she on top of not knowing the things she knows. And again, that you don't unfold that all at once, that it happens with time throughout the course of the story. Uh, asks if it is Terralisium that she has landed on. Uh, it is not. You got to wonder if Discovery is going to be the one that perhaps comes into Terralisium, whether that'll even be a thing again at all. But it is Hema. What star system, what sector, what quadrant not even known? Matt, we might be in, you know, we had the Alpha, the Beta, the Delta, and the Gamma quadrant. We could be in some, we could be in the Zeta quadrant for all we know. All, all the way out there, which we don't know where it is. She does highlight to him, uh, he he helping through exposition, but not, not inclined to help her. Uh, she mentions that she is lost and has no crew. That seems to be when his heart warms. And I think on first viewing, you're like, yeah, because he's like in the credits and they got to work together and whatnot. And on second view, it's, it's the first instance of, you know, he, he is a scoundrel, but he's got a heart of gold. Pete, he's not going to just take his pay and go back to Jabba. He's going to come back and help. <laughs> uh, and here he just avoids the whole leaving, has her come on board. She notices his control panel. It's got not nanobot technology, too. Uh, but she starts to parse out, this is communications, this is this, this is that. So she's recognizing uh, the, the, the controls there. Um, he mentions that he can only get his needed dilithium from the mercantile. Uh, Grudge the Cat is also introduced. Pete, that second best social media presence that Star Trek has created. <laughs> uh, and we also get book officially named. Second best to whom, though? Uh, that would be the, the, the Badgie account, which is just, which has, has a subtle sarcasm that I think Grudge the Cat does not. And that's because <laughs> You know, Pete Grudge is a simple cat, whereas Badgie is a is a complex uh, creation of Hollow Matrix delights. Yes, um, he needs uh, book does a new dilithium recrystallizer. So those Scotty figured out a way in Star Trek Four to try to make new dilithium or fix it. Uh, his was cracked in their accidents. He has a cargo he needs to get to a certain planet by a certain time. Unless she has a Benamite, I don't know what that is, and we don't yet know what it is. Uh, he can't fly quantum slipstream, so maybe new warp drive, maybe just technobabble. Um, the uh, the Tachyon solar sails are also not really up to snuff, and don't even get him started, Matt, on try lithium you know which we've we've heard of occasionally in the later incarnations of star trek i believe romulans messing around with that around the uh star trek generations time frame 
once they get outside, Burnham intuits that the mysterious cargo is temperature sensitive. How she knows this, I don't know after two views. She reads it on his little hollow vault thingy exposition okay. through dialogue. That, that I didn't have a problem with. Uh, that she intuits, I don't have a problem. Uh, to me, it wasn't totally clear how she puts the They're pieces together. They're still using but... English in the displays we can't read in 3188. Uh, Pete, it's a yeah, Federation standard, formerly known yeah. as English. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's got got good legs to it. Uh, she thinks that Book is a thief. He says no, no, that he's a courier. Uh, oh, that badge on her chest, by the way. You know, it's her discovery thing. Uh, it shows that she's into ghosts. The Federation is gone, uh, as are the good old days. The Federation has been gone since after the burn. Pete, so many questions. I'm sure it'll take episodes on top of episodes before we get things explained, like the burn, right? Uh, I mean, I think we got more explanation in this episode than maybe we expected to. I mean, the provocative aspect here that you know the burn was when the galaxy took a hard left that we're told that all dilithium one day went boom uh burnham explaining to the viewer maybe not aware that's the heart of every warp capable ship did it destabilize book doesn't seem to know and then after a while because as we're told again by burnham that the federation is more than just ships that it's a vision that, uh, you know, then they weren't around anymore. And as we see by the end of the episode, fractured yet still present. And this was all about 100 to 120 years before Book was born. And given what we've seen about Book through this episode, I'm not entirely sure he's not closer to 100 years old. Ooh. Pete, let's save that for a theory segment. That's a good, uh, that's a good, flexible point in which the show can play with the timeline, uh, but still be contextualizing things. I think certainly the big takeaway, this notion that it was before his time, 100, 120 years ago, it's communicating a, a time before recent memory, you know, uh, perhaps with the exception of the, the very long lasting species for most species, this is before before the current generation, maybe before your parents' generation, that sort of thing. Pete, enough jawing, though. They're off to Requiem. Uh, an act break later, they arrive, which is a handy way to advance geographically. Um, it's an all-sci-fi city, including that floaty part. Uh, as they walk in, it looks very Picard season one to my eyes. Uh, there's an Andorian and Orion partnership. Later, Pete will find out that those guys are Ethor, the Orion, and Ithic, the Andorian. Might be easier, Pete, to just call them the Andorian and the uh, the, the Orion. I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, as they walk in, they're going to get scanned. Book is scanned and passes. Burnham is scanned and fails. She doesn't have a thing in her arm or on her arm. Uh, I, I think it's kind of uh, vaguely read as some sort of chipping. Uh, Bill Gates did it, Pete. Uh, the Andorian guard uh, has a, uh, a phaser cannon beam onto his hand. At least that's how it appears. Uh, she's rejected, but Book says there's a market for antiques. Your bosses will want her to come in with these sweet, sweet antiques. Uh, and ultimately, the bosses say, let her in. <laughs> there are holographic sellers and buyers, we're told. He, 
uh, and others like him paid into lithium. And then once in a while, they get to make a deal themselves. Burnham witnesses a portable transporter, not new enough tech to avid Star Trek watchers, but definitely from somebody from the time frame that she's come. Uh, as they're headed towards the subspace array, some uh, trickery, Matt, and she's placed in a stasis beam. He, Book, has done the double crossing because he needs all the dilithium to finish his run with the unseen cargo. And then we have the Orion and the Andorian comically questioning Burnham about her trying to gain access to the vault. Where is her ship that she wouldn't be without it? So clearly they know some connection to the Federation. Interesting that the Andorians, a well, and, and the Orions, you know, when we consider uh, lower decks, uh, both Federation species members and here not. So it makes you wonder, are those two of the star systems we can cross off the flag at the end of the show? This pairing here of uh, of the Andorian and the Orion, absolutely fantastic. I know I personally am not a fan of the Discovery era, uh, and by extension, this, even though we're 130 years in the future. But the the Discovery production version of the Andorian makeup, I'm not particularly a huge fan. You know, that's okay. I did actually like this update for the Andorian makeup. There's a slight plastic nature to the face. There's a shininess to it that I just dug, uh, even though maybe it's not the way most um, human skin and by extension, you know, most kind of creature skin is in terms of, you know, some, some light bounce and some light absorption. It just looked great. I know there was somebody online, you know, (laughs) Pete, as Star Trek fans oft do, you know, complaining about the makeup to me, if, if Mr. Orion is wearing some sort of you know, uh, 3188 cool guy makeup that makes his skin more shiny. I dig it. If that's just how they look, fine. Um, the back and forth that they have down to, you know, they dose her and they're bored. Let's go get a sandwich, Pete. Right. It's great to they're see. Still the eating Earl. sandwiches in 3188, Matt. There's hope. Absolutely. The Earl of Sandwiches legacy <laughs> lives on. Um, then Pete, uh, Pete, shades of other shows that we have podcasted. Uh, I'm thinking of you. Um, uh, what was that Anson Mount show, Pete? It, I have a black spot in my brain. And I can't remember it. What was the Anson Mount uh, Marvel show? Oh God! Inhumans. <laughs> Inhumans. There we. I legitimately. That was not a bit. I legitimately forgot what it was for a second. Um, and, and we should. <laughs> as well, we. I need should. to work on that memory wipe again. Um, but Pete, she has gotten space high. Yes, this drone that has sprayed her, but. Did you get the dosage right? Doesn't quite seem to be affecting her the way that it should. This truth drug, uh, she's giggling, then she's nodding off, um, and uh, also admits to having a friend with red hair that they cannot, under any circumstance, give any of this stuff. Uh, That needs to, Chekhov's Tilly drug, this needs to happen by the end of the season. Uh, what I like is, you know, they quickly explain to her, oh, it'll make you tell the truth. Uh, and indeed, Pete, she does speak in truth. However, it sounds insane 
Uh, she's supportive. Uh, it has a supportive story. She left everything behind for the sake of creation. Then she shot out of a wormhole and hit a guy. Uh, his cargo is pressure sensitive. Or pardon me, temperature sensitive. He's probably hauling ice cream. His name is Book. Uh, meanwhile, Book is not getting the deal that he wanted, and Cosmo finds him. Book gets smacked around. Uh, they talk about using, quote-unquote, her to feed the planet. Uh, unclear initially on first view that they're talking about the cargo. No, uh, no, 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 no. They're talking about Grudge. He says oh. he's going to feed Grudge to the starving that she would feed an entire planet. Well, then that, Pete, that just adds more mystery to it because Grudge appears to be much, much smaller than uh, Molly the 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 worm that we're going to meet he later. He says so. at one point she's a queen. I don't think we're speaking in metaphor. Oh, well, uh, Pete, details abound here. Um, and it's around that time that Burnham uh, shows up, smacks him. Then they are surrounded by, by guards. Uh, and after a pause, Book and Burnham fight their way out of it. They steal some phaser cannons. Uh, and what we get is a very shaky cam scene. Pete, I think Olatundi Atsunsami maybe watched a little bit too much of the J.J. Lost pilot. Maybe too much Captain America Civil War. Not enough Infinity War and Endgame. Um, but I get it. It's your action-packed scene in a set which is very, very effective, but kind of meant to be... Uh, space warehouse chic and maybe not the most detailed set of all time so you, you you sex it up with some shaky cameras and it's it's a very uh very fun fight nonetheless it is ultimately um resulting in burnham spotting some dilithium book uses a different type of weapon to knock everybody back uh tells burnham that the stuff we never get a name that she's been uh, drugged with. The adrenaline will knock it out of her system eventually. And then they begin a sequence of beam outs uh, effective in establishing. You need 30 seconds to recharge it. So first to a waterfall where they get tracked, they jump again to an empty lava field uh, the, the landscape in this episode, the one that was filmed here in Iceland in July of 2019, absolutely gorgeous. We get so many different flavors of this planet Hema. I mean, that's assuming that they didn't jump to other planets. I think it's safe to assume it's all on that planet, but we don't know the mechanics of the, the transporter the charges that book may have and the story could completely tell us later on, Oh, we've been to four different planets and you know, uh, that's where we jump to again, they jump and we're told here about the 32nd recharge, which, uh, necessitates them jumping off the cliff at the very end. And then they beam into some form of hot spring, uh, complete with space fish that uh, they cannot be tracked underwater or into solid material, and Burnham punches Book to end an act. Pete, this whole portion of the episode has me want to say, go Tadan Dayan, uh, which is uh, good day in Icelandic, because what a, what a pretty country it is. Uh, I know. The waterfalls and the yeah. moss, you know, covered landscapes the the lichen there it's it's just gorgeous interestingly pete iceland is uh 
trying to hedge itself as the affordable post-COVID, post-vaccine uh, destination for for uh, mainland Europe and the United States alike. So uh, I know Alex Kurtzman talked about this season having a certain uh, sagacity for the present times. Uh, I think he was probably talking about larger themes of uh, believing in your ideals and having hope for the future. But insofar as I would like to go to Iceland and take an affordable Iceland trip where um, I can learn a little Icelandic and they undoubtedly know a good amount of uh, English and we too can go to the waterfalls and the, the hot water springs and whatnot. I'm ready. Let's make it happen. 2021. As they sit beside the spring here and dry off, uh, Burnham, of course, having been shot, Book lights up his forehead and speaks a language that is later told to be something like a prayer and a plant grows. Uh, this is to prevent Burnham's wound from getting infected. And then he uses his device that he's had all along to open whatever subspace channels still exist. Cosmo's going to be scanning it, so be quick. No answer from Discovery. Maybe they made it to Terra Elysium. We don't know. This true believer, this time traveler, uh, learns from Book, Burnham does, that all time travel tech was destroyed after the temporal wars, you know, the temporal wars that happened 26th century, glimpsed in Enterprise. So between the hints at the burn, next generation, uh, you know, uh, warp ecological story, check. Enterprise, temporal wars, check. We have covered everything with the exception of the Discovery short trek that uh, took place about a thousand years ahead. So maybe about uh, 200 years before this, where Discovery is in some kind of nebula and uh, the, the one person, not a Federation crew member, finds it and there's an AI on it. So that's really the last thing we have to cover as far as established Star Trek material that occurs anywhere near this in time. I think, too, for that short trek, um, and I must confess, I don't have my notes of it in front of me at the moment, but they throw around a thousand years, you know, a, a, a thousand years in the future. If you told me that it actually was 935, 931 years, in, I feel like a thousand years is a vague enough thing where, yeah. to be completely honest, Pete, I wouldn't be surprised if this season the crew of the Discovery has to hunker down on planet X for, you know, a month while the space storm goes by and when they get back they go are we missing a shuttle that's really weird uh or, well, we have no time to worry about that because look new romulans well may i propose something even more radical matt you know we've arrived in 3188 with a 930 year old vessel though with a spore drive and i think we're already seeing how that's going to become super handy when and if they find discovery this season um, and mapping what's left of the Federation, jumping all around and everything and, and building that back together um, that, okay, let's take the propulsion system and not everything else on the rest of the ship. That's 930 years old. And perhaps season four is a new USS discovery. 
Ooh. Well, plenty to look forward to. Pete, before we leave this scene, I just want to point out, uh, though they have emerged from this hot spring and apparently water seems aplenty, uh, Pete, the way Burnham is eyeing Book with his shirt off, uh, I think she's still thirsty. But let's move on here. They start walking back to the Centennial Bird. Don't forget, that's my name for his ship, not the official name. Uh, he uh, notes that the cargo has a few more hours. With that, a new crop of guards beam in. Uh, Pete probably tipped off because Cosmo was scanning and there was the whole uh, hail for discovery there. Uh, our heroes drop their weapons. Cosmo says that he's a great runner after all. However, the, uh, the Orion boss vaporizes him. How good can he be if he lost his cargo? Boba Fett? Boba Fett? Where? <laughs> Indeed. Um, the Orion and the Andorian ask for the code to get in. Pete, the code is sticky. That's right. S-T-I-C-K-Y. Yes. Uh, what's brown and sticky? A stick. Or Molly, the transworm. Uh, that is uh, that is true. Everyone looks at it. It's not dead. Uh, Book tells Burnham to close her eyes. Uh, the, uh, the, the worm starts to glow blue, as do the eyes of the baddies. It then takes a number of them out with conviction. Uh, the remaining lackeys beam out. Pete, just have to mention one of those lackeys is Lurian. That's Morn's species. Uh, sure, we all notice. I just let's have hashtag love for Morn. Um, uh, Pete... Can we learn that that is Morn? That that Morn is. <laughs> I mean, what would that make him? Nine hundred some odd years past Deep Space Nine. That you know. I think the announcement, Matt, of, of Star Trek Morn is is really just a couple months away, and we will learn that a silent character, a character who never speaks on screen but does speak to others, uh, is really the uh, person who's been chronicling this universe. That's your that's your final final episode of Star Trek ever. It's Morn <laughs> saying, and thus was the story of a bunch of people who went on. A Star Trek. There you go. Uh, but Pete, back to this particular Star Trek. Uh, the worm, about to be named Molly, eats Burnham. Uh, Book uh, talks to Molly, does his telepathic thing. Burnham forcibly ejected. <laughs> Looks like things have turned out okay today. Yes. Um, so from there, we head back to his ship where... Uh, uh, Burnham inquires about the trance worms here. She seems to be familiar with the species. Um, we're told they were everywhere before the Federation fell, but there's no endangered species act, you know, like with the Gormaganders and protecting them. Um, Book has this connection to things that feeling everything for him is uncomfortable. His family are killers and poachers, but every so often there's one like him in the gene pool to bring balance to the force on the uh, centennial bird here. Um, but uh, he is not welcome, but he wouldn't want to be any different. So what's nice is we get some family history there. He comes from a family of scoundrels, but he's a good guy. Uh, so we're kind of more clear on the goodness that we've now seen on screen. Uh, they arrive at their destination, Sanctuary 4, where, where all the, the healthy, happy transworms live. 
Uh, Byrne admits to being uh, from 930 years in the past, but she didn't do it alone. She needs Pete, some sort of central mission, some sort of Star Trek, if you will. Uh, she needs to find her ship. Uh, Book takes her to a courier waypoint. Pete, it's something that used to be a Federation station. I initially thought, oh man, we're going to go for uh, for Deep Space Nine here, but probably the better virtue of not going for the immediate uh, reference and the destruction of Deep Space Nine. They've destroyed my childhood. Uh, Pete, it's just random Federation station. Relay station. Uh, probably a main reactor breach a long time ago. Inside here, they're told to proceed to the attendant desk where the unnamed man from the beginning welcomes them to Starfleet. Burnham uh, spits out her serial number and her other identifying information. The man stands in near disbelief. He is Adita Sahil, Federation liaison, and it would be his honor to assist her in the search for the discovery. Uh, he detects, however, only two Federation ships within flight in a 600 light year radius. Uh, they are cut off. Long range sensors failed decades ago. He cannot scan beyond 30 sectors since then. Uh, he imagines it's the same for others. So what are we saying here? There are other Federation ships, more than two. We just can't detect them. Uh, so it's a communication issue. It's a transportation issue. There's the faith that others are out there. And again, this mystery of what fully happened and why can't we connect and whatever other politics that, that could possibly uh, be involved. But uh, Sahil wants to know, how is it Burnham doesn't know all of this? Well, that's because she's from before the burn, before the collapse, that we're told is not an actual collapse by the showrunners, uh, that her ship was behind her. So by the laws of temporal mechanics, it could show up tomorrow, or it could show up in a thousand years, or it could show up in a year. Yes, Pete, love the simple but compact line. How is it that you don't know what we all know? I also have to mention that uh, Sahil's scans do have two ships who have the identifiers, not necessarily whole registry numbers, but the identifier numbers 21210 and 21211. Don't okay. know what to make of that, but it's there. Uh, I took a lot of careful pausing to get 21211, and I was like, wait a minute, that's just one higher than the other one. How that did was on you screen do for... it? How did you pause? Let, let's give tips to viewers, Matt, because when I watch CBS All Access on my laptop and pause the screen minimizes because heaven forbid people take screen captures uh i was watching on my fire stick uh okay. and then and when i went to rewind it rewinds in like 15 second chunks even when you're paused um which which is not the case in other video apps in uh, on the fire stick so CBS having made an infrastructure where it's difficult to go back and look at things screen by screen. Maybe uh, or, Paramount Plus will be more like, I don't know, Disney Plus or Netflix regular and not treat a show that's behind a paywall like a state secret. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Dis Disney Plus, The Mandalorian and all 
arguably a little bit more popular from a piracy standpoint and yet doesn't feel the need to uh, make it so difficult for their viewer to really pour over material. Instead, it's immediately assumed you are stealing this. Uh, come to mention it, Pete, I have not seen any uh, official takedown notices on Twitter when people share uh, Mandalorian Don't uh, give them ideas, art. Matt, because we know how the PR people at uh, CBS function when they're not sending out, you know, booze filled promo uh, packages to uh, to people. Um, they spend the rest of their time making uh, podcasters and press lives uh, not really easy. <laughs> Pete, all these secrets that CBS All Access is trying to uh, to protect, here's a secret that Mr. Sahil has. He's not a commissioned officer, though his father and grandfather were. Uh, he's been waiting for Starfleet, waiting for hope. That hope is you, Commander Burnham. That hope is you part one, Matt. Oh, <laughs> that's right. We need to go back and reshoot the line. Oh, if only the... <laughs> that hope is you. Part one. <laughs> um, he takes out the pod from earlier. Uh, only a commissioned officer may raise the flag of the Federation. Won't she raise it? Which Pete in the moment is an incredibly cool uh, line here. I, I, I think technically I would call into question whether a citizen of the Federation can just raise their the flag of you know whether. But that's not the point here, Pete. We're heading towards the end of season two in a certain sense. The beginning of season three. The beginning of the next lengthy multi-season chapter of this show so won't she raise the flag pete take it from there the flag with six stars visible a noticeably diminished federation uh galaxy system member count there are two stars much bigger than the other tinier stars we have to wonder who's still in it Who's not? I'm I'm salivating to find out. All right, uh, Vulcans are still in there. Earth's still in there, and then you know the the others uh, are are the Trill in there. Is is that how it's going to come about to uh, season three here? But that detail that we're all just really salivating over uh, these true believers that are left uh, that. Uh, Burnham commissions um, Sahil as a Federation uh, communications chief that he is going to lead the search for discovery, uh, that he accepts the commission, the hands here uh, shaking, and we stare up at this flag, and Sahil tells us the numbers are few, that, but their spirit is undiminished. There are others out there, Burnham of Furs, and we will find them. Pete, with that incoming threat analysis, let's start with Cosmo. You mean Boba Fett, surely, don't you? You know, chasing the uh, centennial bird in his... Uh, not an employee to vessel. Um, 
speak, Cosmo gets the job done as a secondary threat to put his uh, his foot on the gas of the story. And he gets uh, disintegrated too. The, he I does. was told there'd be no disintegrations along with hoverboards. Uh, he probably will be back in future seasons, though. That's just how it goes. I kid, of course. I'm making a reference to Boba Fett, widely assumed to return to Mandalorian season two. But Pete, back to this future and this universe uh anything else you want to say about cosmo or should we talk about what book as a bad guy is he a bad guy i feel like there's enough mystery at this point i mean clearly in this episode a force early on in uh opposition to burnham doesn't even want to know her name know anything about her it's the old scoundrel with a heart of gold uh you know he shot first in the bar matt and uh you know he and his uh lovable tree dwelling no doubt uh furry co-pilot who they share a i believe it's called a a a life force um contract um because of of some good deed done uh, by one uh, to the other. But uh, again, you know, similarities to the Star Wars aside um, with the things about him that we don't fully understand that we'll chew over in our theory segment. What is his species? What is the nature of his ability that his uh, species, uh, they're poachers, that they're killers. Will they be the larger threat this season still so much up in the air uh but we come to learn he is the outlier we have some uh perhaps secondary or tertiary bad guys we've talked about ethor and ithic the andorian uh pardon me the orion and andorian respectively i i think really well performed you know they're, they're interesting for their presumed short time on screen i don't know that i would consider well let's see i guess they've both been eaten right it's the it's the it's the the lackeys who beam away so probably the end for those two but yeah. pete they went out in the blaze of glory and into molly's belly so everybody wins there um and again that uh what mourn uh were the lurians in the federation not completely sure we know the tellarites were um, and, and does this speak to the fracturing post burn that's taken place? I really hope it's more than just a throwaway detail about the Gorn, you know, burning up two light years of, of subspace. Um, you know, well, we speculated in our preview, maybe they'll be the bad guys and they've been, been keeping that under wraps. But again, the just wide open nature and these tantalizing hints at uh, what has happened. And I think that, you know, both through this episode and, you know, what is to come teasing out of this. Pete, for reference, uh, the Lorians, of course, from the planet Loria, which is... Uh, in or near the Ionite Nebula, rarely do Lorians leave Loria. So one, I think, could infer that it was not part of the Federation, even at the highest highs uh, of the Federation. 
Uh, so that scintillating Morn species update there. I am glad that the unnamed Lorian uh, was able to transport away in the end. I think Morn, a sentimental favorite for us all. Yes, no one wants to see him disintegrated. Just like Matt, we don't want to see any of our patrons to patreon.com disintegrated. Indeed, Pete, this podcast does not run on dilithium, but it might. And if it did, those contributions, those things to keep us listeners supported on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, that is our dilithium to keep us warping from episode to episode, universe to universe. Pete, later this month will be not only in the far flung future of uh, presumably what's meant to be our prime universe existence, but also that universe from a you know, long time ago, galaxy far, far away, etc. As Mandalorian season two returns, maybe even the return of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, albeit on TV before the end of the year, and all that made possible by that listener support. WandaVision, Mandalorian, Star Trek Discovery, Lower Decks, all this made possible by patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Can't contribute just now. We definitely understand given the economy throughout this pandemic get yourself over to apple podcasts please leave us a rating a review takes a little bit longer but all are equally appreciated pete as we scan into theories i have a question for you is book part of some sort of protective order the others on Sanctuary mm-hmm. 4 are similarly dressed, woven black tops, yeah. black leatherish coats. Is this, yeah, are, these, are these protective monks of some sort? Are they couriers like him with hearts of gold? Are they members of his species that like him are the outliers and uh, don't poach? I like, again, that this mystery remains. Um you know, you, you think of other seasons and the way things have come back, details that we got in part early on. And, and ultimately, I mean, Matt, who knew the torchbearer would have such a large, you know, uh, shadow over uh, seasons one and two of Star Trek Discovery? You know, that Klingon, that, uh, you know, son of none. Who, uh, who who jumps in there after the, the first torchbearer uh, is accidentally killed by Burnham. Uh, Pete, one never knows where the future is going. I think that's part of the part of the appeal here. Just building off of this book discussion for a second, um, you have identified book as part of a species of poachers. I had kind of taken it more as he of a family of poachers. Uh, can you clarify for me? He says his family are killers, poachers. I'm assuming species because of what he can do and light up his forehead and then produce, uh, you know, the plant from the ground. Is he human? He appears human in nature. We don't have anything other than those details to point to. Um, There's some speculation he's a synth, that this is the further more human-like evolution of synths now in 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 touch with nature 930 years down the road from the time frame that discovery left that could be an interesting wrinkle i really hope he's not synthetic 
He does say at one point that a man's got to blow his nose. Is he speaking metaphorically or is he really just a man? Um, th th there's a gene pool so that there's some genetic element to it. Uh, but we know that Dodge and Soji, um, you know, with the positronic, uh, you know, fractal neuronic cloning and everything there. So who knows what we're dealing with all these years down the road. Um, and that he's delivering these, uh, these transworms to the sanctuary that he says his planet used to be like until he had to leave it behind. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, areas to fill in, in his background and, you know, poor exposition is I am a droid from planet Tatooine that lives forever and, there we go. So all this will be unfurled. Surely the necessary points throughout the season. Now, Pete, refresh my memory here. What was the time differential between the end of uh, Discovery, uh, entering the wormhole at the end of Discovery Season 2, and Spock seeing the final red burst? And follow question, might that be the same time difference for when Discovery arrives in the 3100s i think six months if i'm gonna go off the top of the dome i i know there is a differential um and again how does that tease out over a larger distance of time um what with uh you know the speed of light uh how we see things over you know larger distances and then you know, what, what's the old line we all love from from Watchmen? You know, all all we see of stars are their old uh, photographs. So the the red angel signal sent when it was. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's poetic the way in which it it transpires. And certainly the big surprise for me was that we did not get uh, in the course of this episode, we did not get. um you know, montage of Burnham uh, living, living out her existence. You know, as we did, saw in the previews, some sort of you know fast forward uh, time thing. I would assume that's that's fairly soon, and that would fit to that six months or a year time difference that we might be looking at here. But again, uh, is it real time or you know the 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 six months, the year, whatever the time frame that Burnham passes without discovery? how that is accentuated over a larger gradient. Certainly. I mean, my kind of science take of the Star Trek universe is that they are not generally prior to the burn prior to this, this step backwards in technology. Um, they're not subject to, uh, to, to, to sensing things at the speed of light. Like, you know, you can know that, the Klingon moon praxis has exploded. You, you don't need to wait for the light to arrive there. You have right. subspace or whatever. And now, of course, you know, how much of subspace has been damaged by the Gorn? Is it just within this immediate area? How does that impact sensors? It's, you know, we're definitely, we've reset the Star Trek universe, lowercase u. We've reset that experience to something more akin to the original series where, you know, very small number of ships. I think it was 12 or 13 ships uh, was the intention originally 
in, in the original series. That might have changed in the in, during the course of the three seasons. But there's only 13 ships, uh, you know, Starfleet ships out there, or or Constitution class, whatever it is, and they're really, really far out there. They're not able to to get home quickly. That sort of thing. So with these with these road bumps and road closures, if you will, in space, we've we've kind of returned to that. Uh, last question for me, Pete. Uh, at least I think it's the last question. Does Burnham's serial number end with SHN because she somehow originated on the Senjo? That's an interesting uh, bit I did not pick up. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, that that I think works. Love to uh, to get some kind of confirmation from the creatives there. Just a detail. Maybe go back and look. Although we know uh Giorgio uh served on other ships before the Shenzhou so we we have her serial number um on her comm badge that is seen we'll have to take a look at that um very beginning of the episode Matt Starfleet ship wreckage that uh Book and Cosmo have their fight in we can make out USSS. We can make out NCC. We never see a serial number. We never see a name on the hull there. Uh, that's probably uh, for best. I mean, I mean, I really, really think, you know, it's funny. My, my, my wife was around as I watched this episode the second time, and she said, oh, is that the season finale? You know, at the very, very end. And it was like, no, this is the season premiere. It just feels like a season finale because – among other things, this is this is a series pilot for what the next phase of the show is. Uh, it's also a finale for what the show was. Um, so it is kind of this weird waypoint. Um, so yeah, I think there, there's so much going on in this episode in terms of the the story the story effort that it has to make. The fact that it is so effortless really is uh, is a great thing. Epic too as well. Hema, this planet that they arrive at, uh, Book says it's all the way out there. Um, are we in our familiar quadrants, or have they expanded even further? Well, Pete, first of all, I must transport myself back to my youth and when uh, my beloved Thundercats cartoon uh, showed many multiple... 10, 20, 30 quadrants up on the up on the scanner um, that a, a well-worn science fiction mistake, you know, where quadrants should just be one of four, right. prefix quad, etc. So if you're asking if we're somewhere outside of the Milky Way galaxy... We've I mean, just if, confirmed the uh, Thundercats Star Trek universe crossover. <laughs> oh, man, bring that on. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little less... Well, well, if Snarf, Pete, is Snarf Grudge? Have they already started oh it? Oh my God, Matt, this gets better and better. Has Alex Kurtzman secretly closed the deal? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, and now the captain of the USS Thundercat, Lionel, making <laughs> wait, contact. Pete, let's, that's Lion-O, not Lionel. Lionel, Lion-O, whatever. I'm showing the cracks in my Thundercats fandom. <laughs> um, but even then... <laughs> bottom line being um wow that just that just blew my mind i mean i i feel like since we have all these story restraints since we now presumably can't go fast 
uh, or too fast, uh, since there are areas of sub of subspace that are dead question mark since dilithium uh availability slows us down uh and so forth i feel like if we're outside our galaxy that doesn't that's gonna that's too much of a story constraint if we are outside the familiar alpha and beta quadrants what do we get out of that i mean if they appeared as far from federation space as voyager what was so far flung in caretaker um then we're gonna make this entire season about getting back you know then we're not gonna have orions and and uh andorians and whatnot so i think that we're in you know we're, we're not in sector 001 nor are we close to it but i think that right. you know w- with some story effort with some fast forwarding in time maybe with a spore drive we can get back to earth vulcan etc pretty quickly was the gorn destruction of two light years worth of subspace part of the burn or something before or after i read it as something after you know kind of in the the you know in the 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 king is dead then you have the the years of upheaval as people fight over the king being dead you know post the burn with the federation shrinking um the gorn now being expansive i think too i mean i don't have a federation map in front of me and i don't know that um i don't know that there are official official ones out there um although uh you know certainly the the one on star trek online has been kind of replicated on um within the show and that seems to be an informal uh approved map i think of the gorn as way over there in the corner kind of you know uh i don't want to say off the map but you know kind of far from the main action so if we're saying that the gorn if we're going to going to infer that the gorn leapt out of their normal space and kind of you know had a battle of a bulge a prong like prong like attack if we're kind of in gorn adjacent territory that means that we're super far from where we're normally used to but not so far from it that nobody's ever heard of the gorn so i feel like we're in that right neck of the woods of being far from home but not too far from home benamite is name checked no one apparently has any is that some sort of fuel uh you know all the dilithium went boom yet here's some dilithium that we trade in that we need in order to get from uh you know hema to sanctuary four quantum slipstream these solar sails trilithium out there boy matt if only there was a ship that had a super experimental not duplicated propulsion system that's about to show up either tomorrow or a year from now or a thousand years from now uh it's funny when you had uh mentioned that in one of our preview podcasts it was like i don't know i think we have the spore drive behind us uh no we don't (laughs) yeah but yeah I, i would say clearly we do not clearly it ants it solves a bunch of these story problems um might they still put the story breaks on in terms of oh what am i trying to say in terms of well it's only so many jumps because we only have so many spores and we can't regrow it because that planet where we regrew it it's not there and you know things like that where you can quickly say hand of the writer you can include or uninclude these things as required i think that that's that's 
very achievable without it feeling like, you know, oh man, you just invented a make go machine to make go when we needed it. And then you took it away when you couldn't think of other ideas. Listen, beyond the usefulness of the spore drive to jump around, not using dilithium, like it's in short supply and, or even, uh, bad for the space environment the spore drive needs to exist for one very important reason, and that is it pisses Jet Reno off, and that is the best Reno. Which, speaking about that, at least indirectly, I've here's what I suspect amongst the other goals of this, this episode uh, in terms of being a pilot for the next phase of the show. I, I dare say, aside from maybe, you know, delightful star trek pocket episodes of oh no we got sent back to you know a cost saving the present day of the 21st century or things like that we got sent back to the paramount lot again the paramount back lot again can you believe it aside from things like that i think that we're staying in you know in the 3100s or the 3200s if depending on how big a time jump we see when discovery arrives but i don't think we're going back in time is my point so insofar as this episode has to be a pilot for the rest of the show and and wrap up nominally wrap up last season, uh, I, I think, too, we have 13 episodes this season versus 14 last season and 15 before that. If there's been a little bit of a belt tightening, I'm not saying Star Trek is failing. I'm not saying any of that, but there's just a belt tightening to say, all right, guys, we can do 30 to 35 weeks of Star Trek without discovery needing 15 expensive episodes because we can do short treks we have the animated we have picard i'm turning a blind eye to covid and concerns like that at the moment we have a slightly reduced episode count all right that's fine i think this episode too is a bit of cost saver yes if i understand the actors union stuff correctly uh the people in the title sequence those actors needed to get paid but it's only a handful of actors and they're making actor money I, I suspect this shoot to Iceland probably was less expensive than not because it was a smaller bunch. Um, and you could probably, you know, a lot of it was outside. It didn't involve a ton of extras, a ton of makeup. So I think you have a cost-saving episode here in addition to resetting the entire Star Trek Discovery landscape. Apart from how epic it feels, it feels like with each passing season, what was pitched when Star Trek Discovery was greenlit is this Game of Thrones in space. And, I mean, come on, Matt. They're filming at the side of an Icelandic, uh, you know, volcanic crater. The waterfalls, the exotic landscape. Like, this does not feel bottle episodish at all. You know, I would be fine with, okay... Season four is only 12 episodes. Like the episode count is not a worry at all, though some might seek to uh, 15 to 14 to 13. Oh, they're, they're, they're cutting down, which means, I mean, how, how many seasons till we're down to one massive episode or a movie, Matt? <laughs> right. I think these, these distinctions start to fade away. And then, as I said before, if the bean counters are saying, hey, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make as much sense to do 15 episodes of Discovery when you also are releasing 10 episodes of Lower Decks and 10 episodes of Picard, let's shift some of those resources. 
I would assume Discovery is the most expensive out of the three, just in terms of like its its sticker price. I don't know what the tax rebate situation is in Toronto. Uh, I feel like part of the reason shows film in British Columbia is because of the attractive tax situation there set up by either the, the that uh, province or the city of Vancouver. Uh, I don't think it's a Canada-wide thing. We know that there's the tax stuff for Picard. That, that That's why it's Los Angeles-based. Um, so, again, just from a pure bean counter point of view, it doesn't mean the sky is falling to say, hey, wh- as you start to write scripts for your next season we're looking at 13 we're not gonna if you have a really fat script that's just super amazing we're not turning it into two you know if you can come up with some sort of the cage the menagerie excuse okay fine but we're not green lighting more than 13 expensive episodes in part because we have to save money for these other productions and forthcoming productions and all of that that's just the name of the game that's that's the way it is pete as long as they're not doing hand-me-down uniforms as they did uh post next generation to d space nine and to voyager then we'll then we will know that they're really tightening the belts i think it'll all work out matt what is grudge um you you did the homework there to put together things uh things like uh her being referred to as a queen perhaps not metaphorically uh, the ability for her to to feed a planet or to feed the hungry. Uh, it seemed like it wasn't necessarily that the planet. Starving the and starving. Starving yes. was capitalized. Are those our Romulans? Are those our Borg unseen yet? Uh, I mean, I think, bottom line, Pete, I think there's plenty of potential for it to become it to become a story point that they've just kind of casually thrown in. You know, I think of, I think of early, you know, some of the earlier seasons where, um, you know, the clues for Lorca and and his uh, hopping from universe to universe, and you know, he's always keeping an eye on Burnham because Burnham is the key. Things like that, where it's it kind of was nicely hidden in there. Some of the the Voke, now you must pay a price and give up everything, and then Voke, the torchbearer, replaced by Ash. You know, I think the show. The show does not completely hide some of these secrets. They try and build in the twists so you can you can say, oh, you got me, or oh, it's a theory I've been chewing over. That's all the more reason why I think this is something that we can keep an eye on in terms of um, it being a story point, not just, uh, I don't know, Jello Cubes, Pig Mask, uh, you know, uh, aliens and stuff. I, it's got to be headed towards something. Your detective work on those NCC registries uh, not NCC identifiers, Pete. That's not necessarily the the NCC number, but okay. But I, All right. I grant well, your then point. I'll straight up ask it: uh, Is one of those two the Enterprise P? Okay, I have two thoughts. F- Fan Glee Matt says yes, absolutely. Uh, but as I put on Twitter about a week ago, season one of Discovery ends with um, ends with. Enterprise nostalgia moment. Okay. Season two of Discovery. Discovery has disappeared. It ends on the Enterprise. Enterprise team show, uh, you know, adventures, nostalgia moment. Um, Lower Decks season one ends not on uh, the Cerritos, but spoiler alert, you know, the Titan Riker story, nostalgia story continues moment. Um, If you're going to give us the Enterprise letter later in the alphabet, 
great. Do it. That's awesome. I think we all, you know, history will never forget the name Enterprise. There's always going to be an Enterprise. But if it shows up and it's like, you know, here's William Riker the Eighth, you know, and <laughs> I think there's a point where you overdo it. And this show in particular has hit the Enterprise nostalgia button enough times that maybe we just let it go. Maybe we just sit and say, out there right now is the Saratoga and the Enterprise. And you know what, Pete? You let Kirsten Beyer go off and write that Enterprise P novel, and you just set it up there. It doesn't need to be a thing directly tied into the story. So unlike Grudge, where I said, yes, it must tie in, here I reject it and say no. Well, there's a bunch of ways to do it. What if the Enterprise P is ferrying the crew of Discovery to the discovery a and you you know have the baton passed by the legacy over to the new face of star trek pete overall i'm i I like your idea and this is usually at the point when i go back a year later and re-listen ahead of a new season you know so a year from now when i'm listening to this in anticipation of season four and I'm like, no, Pete was, I'm listening and saying, Pete was completely correct. And my, my reasoning was wrong. So be it. But here's, here's my thought. It's, you know, to have another Enterprise nostalgia baton passing moment, particularly in this show, which has already done it for season one and season two. Um, and with the OG, albeit new Enterprise and all that, I feel like we've done what we need to do. That said, maybe it's so irresistible, or maybe it's just the Enterprise always finds our heroes, even when the show isn't on the Enterprise. So, yeah. So, Pete, you're probably right, though I protest it. (laughs) Um, All the time travel tech destroyed, outlawed after the Temporal Wars. So, definitely no way in the story whatsoever to get uh, Mirror Giorgio back to uh, Strange New World times, right? Um, well, Pete, I think you dig into a larger potential situation, which is this. Uh, Jonathan Frakes, in his recent interview, I want to say it was with Trek Movie, but you know, one of those esteemed uh, uh, websites, uh, and he was talking about his time on Lower Decks and looking ahead to the release of the discovery season three episodes that he directed either two or three mysteries abound um not mysteries not two or three mysteries two or three episodes um he referenced the section 31 show uh created by show run by Bojan kim and erica lippold um and that's who wrote the you know the script for discovery 303 that he directed he referenced kind of it's still being in um not even pre-production kind of in development I would I would officially put that show on yellow alert. Um, I think that maybe it was a great idea two years ago. And now, oh, I'm still very excited for it. But I wouldn't be surprised, Pete, if they end up saying, especially on the heels of the success of Picard, the success of Lower Decks. Uh, I know Star Trek Prodigy is coming. I think that really squarely is for, for a younger audience. You know, it might there might be the decision to do, you know, to do the the star trek titan or to do something that's maybe a little bit more um i don't want to say nostalgia driven but something that's maybe a little bit more 
fam- familiar, you know, to do that. We did Star Trek on a ship. Now let's do the same Star Trek, but on a space station and make it a little darker to do that. That's kind of a bit more adjacent versus Star Trek Dark, James Bond, you know, special ops. I worry it might just get, it might get developed out of development. I am a true believer, Matt, in uh, Bojan Kim, in uh, Erica Lipholt, and we will see the Star Trek Section 31 series. This will not be the Star Trek universe's Marvel's most wanted. <laughs> Pete, any other theories on your your long-range sensors, or can you only scan 30, 30 sectors? Um. Obviously, Sahil now tapped as the comms chief for Burnham in their very limited quadrant slice sector of Starfleet. Um, And again, you, you set forward the trajectory of this season about unifying part three, the Federation. Um is is that what that title that popped up on the WGA website that is now gone alluding to is part ones with other parts non uh, sequential now thing <laughs> I don't know uh, but you know I, I love the trajectory of bringing this all back together again. You know, you've got your spore drive, you've got disparate parts of an organization that can't get in touch with other parts. Um, And just, you know, can I can I get the other 12 episodes now, please? It's funny that you should mention disparate parts. It did occur to me while you were speaking. Yes, the official after show has named uh, next week's episode uh, definitively. and, and, And it's not a part two to this week could it be that simply you know they had bad info and that maybe next week you know because there is this this what are you trying to say about cbs pr trademark and their professionalism and uh everything when it comes to the property of star trek matt just what exactly are you saying (laughs) well i don't want to say too much lest they hang on our posters are coming Yes, no doubt, Pete, no doubt. Well, by the way, and the that, person and who... that access code to to give away to a listener is coming. Uh, Hang on, I'm I'm just receiving a a uh, a, a, a calm transmission, Matt. The interview we are we were promised with a cast member uh, is coming. Um, uh, Pete, for whatever it's worth, that person who made all those promises now has a, a higher position within all, all access PR than, uh, than, than she did previously. So I guess, uh, Pete, sometimes working for the Tal Shiar, you get to work your, work your way up the, uh, up, up the, the chain of command there. All I know is this, could it be possible that, that this is all much ado about nothing? Pete, in the last 10 days, the Writers Guild website has gone from, showing a season four now we obviously know season four is coming but showing a season four with writing staff to removing that okay fine maybe it wasn't official or what whatever uh to showing the first three seasons with the season three uh, episode titles now it no longer shows the season three episode titles but it shows that season three exists within the last week it 
the Writers Guild website did not show that season three existed at all. So, yes, we're kind of having our fun with the the fan-hating question mark, CBS PR folks. If the Writers Guild website doesn't have the doesn't have stuff and that's where memory alpha and wikipedia and others are getting information if that's changing then i guess what i'm saying is legitimately we could find out we could find out that part two i know it's not next week because other sources you know like the official uh star trek youtube and whatnot have said you know here's the the preview for next week and and all that but maybe more of these episode titles are wrong i don't know what i do know pete is now let's head to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir Let's start with our traditional Twitter poll. This one, uh, lots of vote activity. Uh, where is everybody? What did you think of the season premiere? One pip, closed book, got 2%. Two pips, real toothbrusher, got 5.8%. Three pips, commandering, got uh, 17.3%. And four pips, bold new start, got 75%. So certainly a, uh, a, a a hearty outing there. I would propose this was in no way uh, a one-pipper or even a two-pipper. Uh, it did actually get better on second view for me. Uh, but regardless, Pete, we also heard some tweets from uh, from some, some loyal listeners. Uh, James is at Big Killin said, Like you guys said in your preview, this is the most wide-open Star Trek has been since TOS. The theme of rebuilding the Federation fits with the struggle of the day as we look to reclaim truth and sanity also vote uh agree with every word there that james has said pete we heard from uh our pal ian knight that's at zort 70 on twitter loved it uh, a great mix of action and exposition slightly disappointed discovery didn't come to the rescue in the episode but i can wait for that payoff has anyone mentioned genes andromeda yet i'm sure it has influences on the plot hashtag hashtag worm food uh, Pete, I must confess, I ha- I'm familiar with, but have not seen uh, that that show of the mid to late '90s. I'm not an Andromeda guy, uh, aware of it like you. I'm not quite sure of the uh, the worm reference there. Uh, back to Twitter we go. JT Atkins, it's at JTA is me. I just finished my season two rewatch and was struck by the sheer volume of heavy drama for Michael in the second half of the season. Season awesome but heavy is refreshing now in episode 301 to experience a change of pace filled with mysteries and new uh, possibilities a great restart i would agree with that pete this is a this is a repilot if you will we heard from andre yeager that's at dr polo 1983 great start to a new season it's like we have a completely different show uh pete if alex kurtzman a could hear that and b if anything could warm his cold cold heart i think andre's words uh would do just that i think that was the goal a completely different show let's make it clear just for the listener that might not be clear we're not saying he has a cold cold heart (laughs) no i he he's well known for uh coming off as uh not showing a ton of emotion but uh clearly clearly the guy is doing something right with this star trek universe he oversees uh andre wraps up saying can't wait to see what this new universe consists of uh we also heard from is it over yet that's at k-c-l-y-l-e-1 on twitter great start wish we had seen something of discovery and the orions and andorians looked off but love book and hope to see more of sahil cool new tech looking forward to an awesome season pete i think the itch of not getting discovery in discovery they're repeating the itch of the first season, uh, which um, 
where we're saying the only thing that's missing is the thing I knew would show up, which is the ship and its crew. Uh, a couple more tweets here. Uh, another one from JT Atkins who says, dare I invoke J.J. Abrams? I loved how his show Alias was unafraid to end a season with a complete upending of the concept of the show, then move forward with a fresh start next season. Loved that then there. Love that now here uh, for the secret. Uh, for the record, in the weird world of Twitter, no, I don't think JJ is secretly running Star Trek. Uh, a good caveat there from JT Atkins. Pete, I know you weren't an Alias guy. The end of season two of Alias has perhaps the most ambitious, out of the blue, but not out of the blue, time jump that I have ever seen. It's just a gut punch and incredibly uh, ambitious at the same time. Yeah, well, it wasn't 930 years, so... <laughs> That's true. I think it was only about four years or something. Uh, we heard from Brett Williams. It's at B-W-D-E-S-M-O on Twitter. Loved it. Was not expecting the same bit from one uh, from episode one of Lower Decks with an alien monster eating a crew member and spitting them out. But, uh, but I was like, smiley face? Really pumped to see where the season takes us. Oh my goodness, Pete. Twice in one year, as Brett says, we've had a monster who's actually nice, eats somebody, then spit them out. Twice in two seasons run back to back. Madness. Uh, we heard from Madeline Eaton. That's Maddie from L.A. Shout out to Jeff Russo's music in the opening scene. Mm -hmm. How perfect that although Star Trek has always had a live orchestra, when the point of the scene is that we're in the far future and everything is synthesized, from the hologram alarm clock to the nanobot bed, the music has also sampled string parts played on a keyboard. And Great observation there from Madeline, and I don't know if it was in response to the constraints of, uh, you know, recording the music from afar and all that, but it works. It Listen, it, it was not sonic wallpaper, which is a criticism of a lot of Star Trek music throughout the years, but, you know, to swell so emotionally in particular at the end of this episode, that, you know, Federation patriotism uh, the optimism that we're going to reunite everybody and, uh, you know, bring them all back together. Yeah, it, it worked. And they successfully overcame that challenge. I mean, the lower decks music was was well done, which I don't think any of us expected as well. So, you know, Star Trek has figured out to do this in a pandemic. Now let's solve the pandemic. Uh, Pete, I think you have some info there on Facebook. Yes, Robert T. Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Matt and Pete, looking forward to the newest season of Discovery. As you gentlemen pondered what new technology the crew might find, adapt, and use, it made me wonder if the show might explore quote-unquote lost technology that Discovery brings forward. Not the spore drive, but maybe old phaser tech or old lost sensors something like the way we haven't been able to reproduce greek fire your friend bob he since followed up from that post two days ago sent one an hour ago matt as we were podcasting here while driving into work it dawned on me that this episode is like they shot a whole new pilot for discovery it feels completely new which is what i think the show needed get out of the past don't be beholden too much to canon get its own niche and be its own thing excitement yeah i think 
look the 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 plan of Star Trek Discovery has changed so many times from you know the Brian Fuller era to to his successors and then Kurtzman and whatnot without even factoring in just natural evolution or changing or better ideas that that turn things around um so i don't i don't know i mean look we obviously know fuller's original original plan was you know anthology american horror story style um i think let me put it this way pete again if i'm if i'm putting on my 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 bean counter hat if i'm just saying i don't really understand creative but how can we make a thing people like um to start in that familiar time of you know, before Kirk, but in that, with all those familiar things, the transporters that flip open and, you know, beep, 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 and all of that, and have a Klingon war. Transporters that flip open? You know, whatever it is, you can you can start with the very familiar, you know, then there's the, again, whether they're responding to the negative fans or whatever, to sit and say, we spent some time, we spent two seasons there, now we have fundamentally reset the chart the star trek experience while also giving you the warm and fuzzy animated nostalgia and also giving you the more mature but nostalgia picard show you know it's kind of it makes sense that this flagship should move on to truly new ground where things are unfamiliar and and it's okay to be unfamiliar because you did 29 episodes of of you know deep in canon and you know it turns out burnham had inspired the spock kirk relationship all along you just didn't know it until the very end of season two and you know all that stuff so the timing the the, the timing good uh pete let's head to the email inbox here we have uh, some emails first one from dirg that's uh, dirg at reviews by dirg.com hello pete and matt looking forward to your podcast reviewing this delightful premiere as well as the rest of the season personally i loved it and i would put it up there with the best premieres of any season of trek David Ajala, his character book, is a wonderful addition to the cast, charming yet enigmatic enough to compliment Burnham on her early adventures while trying to reunite with the Discovery crew. The camera work on the action scenes were excellent, as well as the cinematography and the CGI details. Adil Hussein was wonderful as he manifested the joy that comes with being the Federation housekeeper for years with no definite signs his effort uh, is bearing fruit. And yet with Michael, it seems that he gets rewarded and he conveys that happiness as well as an actor can. I cannot say enough about the world building in the first episode as an introduction to a whole new environment. I can't wait until episode two and listening to your valuable input as always. Thanks to showrunners Michelle Paradise and Alex Kurtzman for a top-notch beginning to season three. Pete, that from Dirk. Really nice uh, you know, to hear people looking forward to our humble opinions of this show. Pete, next email from John Stewart. That's J-O-H-N, so not the former host of The Daily Show. A joke we've probably made before, but Pete, it's Star Trek. We can we can repeat. Uh, hi, Matt and Pete. You mentioned it might be cool to explore interesting new technology in Disco Season 3 in your preseason podcast, and I think you're right. We got two big ones in the first episode, Miniature Transporters and Programmable Matter. Sure, there's all sorts of new ship technology they could explore, but I'd like them to take a fresh new look at uh, transhumanism ideas. We've gotten some cybernetically modified people like Detmer and Rutherford, and that's been neat. In the past, though, the Star Trek universe has taken a strong stance against genetic modification since the wounds of the eugenics wars apparently ran deep. 
It has been a while, though, and the Federation has lost any ability to enforce any kind of ban on genetic modifications, so we could see some interesting developments on that front. I'd also like to see some biological implants as another version of human or alien technology. These would be parts derived from other living things added onto someone, i.e. cat's eyes to see in the dark. It would be weird and cool to see some people with unusual modifications running around in the world. Also, what would have happened to the synths by this time? Would there be significant populations of free synths? Are they intermingling with everyone else, or are they restricting themselves to hidden enclaves? Cheers, John Stewart and Pete, a PS in response to our uh, New York Comic Con uh, uh, retrospective. You should make Jamie Peyton a regular. She was great. Pete, it was great to talk to Jamie, and uh, we definitely have talked about having her back in the future. Absolutely. Whenever we can get uh, Jamie in there, absolutely. But Matt, let's go to the Netherlands Federation Liaison, Admiral Fred. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 1. This was quite a good episode and actually way beyond my expectations. What I liked a lot is that it was mainly the interaction between Michael Burnham and this New World book and the performance of Sonico Martin Green and David Ajala was really, really good. With just the two of them, they carried this whole episode and I actually liked that we didn't see a parallel story of what is momentarily happening with the Discovery. It would distract from this great performance in this first episode. What I also liked is that we actually are more or less taken along with Michael, with her kind of quest to find out in what kind of world she landed up, and with all her uncertainties and all her questions. And as an audience, we are taking along and we feel... Possibly, well, I did the same. What the heck did she land it up in? The world building was also very nice, futuristic in comparison to the 23rd, 24th century and not over the top on the other side. For an episode where there had to be quite some world building and explanation, that was quite action-packed. So that was also quite good for a first episode of uh, of a season in a whole new surrounding whole new world and last but not least i found the cgi especially of that molly creature really fantastic and the funny thing was when uh, they released her in this pond where you saw other of these creatures jump around in the water in the water we exactly had the same picture more or less about humpback whales uh, in our 8 o'clock news and that was about that they are very good for the environment for the oxygen in the ocean and for co2 storage okay that's all for now greetings all the best fred from the netherlands pete valued insight as always from the admiral there uh interesting that uh, you know we had heard from other listeners who who perhaps lamented is a bit too much but you know had had Negative thoughts on the absence of the USS Discovery in this episode. Fred feeling that the absence kind of helped pay the price of last season and all those great efforts uh, in the uh, in the season two finale. Yeah, I think what Discovery does very well is this idea of 
earning the story space and where the show is now and that it would have been too much to get discovery in this episode plus the way that it it mirrors uh, the beginning of that first season the beginning of the show so i really like it you know you've you've got the burnham story you've got the mystery of where is the ship we all know the ship is going to show up uh it's gonna happen when it happens and how they choose to do it um and you know finding one another and and the story space that happens there again part of telling this story of a fractured federation so it it all works and you know his point about the cgi i i can't echo enough i mean television cgi is right there with film cgi now there's there's no difference um to think that an effect like the worm uh like the uh ship sequences would happen on tv of the past is unfathomable and and now there's no difference Good news, Pete. We are now one day closer to the next new episode of Star Trek Discovery. How can people be in touch with you to keep the conversation going while we wait? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,604 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H. Like it today. Well, I certainly look forward to talking Discovery this time next week. For now, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I am done being reflexively supportive.